Hello, friends. This is Pastor Pierce Eaton, and you're listening to First and Foremost, a podcast where we give you teaching and tools to make Jesus Christ first and foremost in your life. All right. So, uh, funny, quick thing. Um, <laughs> my wife told me that whenever I went over and the, the plate was being passed, that our daughter Lila... She, she put, we gave her some money. Part of the whole thing of, te- you know, passing the plate is that we use that as an opportunity as a parent to teach our kids um, the act of giving. And so uh, we, we gave her some money to put in the plate as it passed. And, and uh, after she put it in there and she, it passed by, uh, she leaned over to my wife, Karen, and said, I'm sad. And, and Karen said, why? And she said, because I wanted to hold my money a little bit longer before I put it in the plate. <laughs> And Karen's response was, don't we all? And so, <laughs> hey, but that's, that's part of the reason why we began passing the plate a few weeks ago is that it's, an, it's a great opportunity for us to teach our children um, that, that act, that act of worship in giving, uh, which is not, not what our sermon's on at, at all today, but I just thought that was such a cute little bit there, and so I wanted to share it with you. Um, so open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 4. As you know, we've been working through a a series, a new series on rhythms and disciplines. That's what the video showed. So this is about establishing patterns for transformation for God to work in our lives. The focal verse of this whole series has been and will be 1 Timothy 4, 7, where where Paul writes to Timothy and says, instructs him to train himself for godliness. Because while bodily uh, training is of some value in this life, Godliness is a value in every single way. And we talked about how we could train ourselves for godliness by these various spiritual rhythms and disciplines that are prescribed to us in Scripture. And so this is one of the ways that God can work in our life to mature us, to grow Him, uh, to grow Himself in us, to transform us from the inside. Out. Last week, we looked at the most important spiritual discipline of Bible intake. We looked at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 and learned how the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient word of God. And we also unpacked the discipline and rhythm of listening to and reading Scripture. And um, today, we're going to look at Bible intake again. Um, this is uh, the second part of... Bible intake, and we're going to look at how God wants us to know his word at a deeper level. So we'll be looking at the disciplines of studying scripture, of memorizing scripture, and in meditating on scripture. And so we'll be looking at those three in particular, but this morning our focal verse is Hebrews 4.12. This might be a passage that's familiar to you, and I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. And I'll read it aloud. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can follow along on the screen. God's word states, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Mm, Let's just read it one more time. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
Let's pray. Father, you are good. Lord, we've uh, sang songs to you. We've, we've uh, worshiped you through giving. And Lord, we re- have read your word. Lord, we just ask that um, as your word is sharp, piercing to the heart of who we are, and this morning I ask that you, you show us how your word is living and active, not stagnant, not old, but living and active in our lives, and that you use your word in our lives to transform us. Father, I ask that you speak through me as I unpack your word. May I make much of you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take a seat. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, this is just kind of what we see here in Hebrews 4, 12. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the word of God reaches into the innermost recesses of the heart of the human and lays us bare. God uses his word to cut us deeply with precision, not like a butcher, but like a surgeon. God uses his word to cut us and lay us bare. His, his word truly transforms us when we seek to deeply know his word, to wrestle with his word, and to conform ourselves to his word. So before we get into the rhythms and disciplines of that deeper Bible intake, um, I want to tackle some common roadblocks, some common misconceptions that we have when approaching the Bible. Because sometimes we can have intellectual roadblocks, intellectual hurdles that we have that, that, that prevent us from fully giving ourselves over to the Word of God. And we end up reading the, God's Word with skepticism rather than reading God's Word as what it truly is. The God of the universe is communicating to you. So we read it with skepticism, not with anticipation. When we have various intellectual roadblocks that cause us to, to not fully give ourselves over to what he's communicating to us. I don't have the time this morning to tackle every misconception about the Bible, but I want to highlight three main misconceptions, main roadblocks that you might have come across, you might have thought, you might be wrestling with right now. And I just want to tackle these um, I'm going to tackle them more deeply in my podcast that's going to release on Tuesday. And so um, you, can, you can listen there, but I'm going to try to g- quickly go over these. And so um, the first misconception that we often have is the statement I've come across many non-believers who say, the Bible was written by humans, not by God. You can't trust it. The Bible was written by humans, not by God. So as Christians... We believe that God used around 40 different human authors to write the 66 books of the Bible and um, that we would agree, I should say, we would agree that the entirety of the Bible was written by humans. But we would disagree with the person who makes that statement on God's involvement. Right, So God divinely inspired the writings of the, Bible, the biblical authors so that they communicated exactly what he intended to be included in Scripture. We, now, let me clarify. We don't believe that when the biblical authors were writing the, the books of the Bible, they, they weren't in some trance-like state where they weren't fully human and they were in a trance and they were writing it out. We don't believe that. And we also don't believe that the biblical authors wrote down simply God's dictation. 
that they just heard an audible voice and wrote that down. Um, instead, we believe that the Holy Spirit prompted and led the biblical authors, human beings, to write what they did and that their writing was truly inspired by God. Ultimately, God used human minds and human hands and human circumstances to sovereignly convey his authoritative word. Okay? So that's what we believe as Christians. So if someone says to you, well, the Bible's a work of man, you can say, yeah, it is in some way, but it's ultimately the work of God. That God conveyed his word through humans. And, um, and it's a, a beautiful truth that we should know and embrace. Um, so that's why when we read the Bible, we can see that there's different styles of writing in the Bible. Well, that's because God used different people. And if I wrote a letter and someone else wrote a letter, it would probably be in a little bit of a different style, a different voice, a different, um, a different uh, method a little bit here or there. And yet, all of it is God's divinely inspired, inerrant authoritative and sufficient word. Cool? All right. Second misconception is the biblical canon, uh, that's the books of the Bible, the biblical canon was decided and assembled hundreds of years after Jesus by men with ulterior motives. Have you ever heard this theory? People have put this out there. If you, if you search on uh, TikTok, or <laughs> which is not a good place to search for biblical knowledge. But um, if you search on TikTok, you search on YouTube, if you just search uh, Google, you're going to find all kinds of opinions that are not based in fact. And one of them that is common is that the biblical canon was decided and assembled hundreds of years after Jesus by men with ulterior motives, that they wanted to control you and control what the church did. Um, this is simply false. So if you've ever heard this, if you've ever thought this or wondered this, it's simply false. So first of all, the canon of Scripture was not decided by man. Just so you know, it was decided by God. He, he divinely inspired specific writings, and then it was up to God to convince his church uh, of which writings were considered, or which were his inspired word. But the Old Testament canon, so the books of the Old Testament, were decided on, the Old Testament canon was closed around 250 years before Jesus was born. So the Old Testament it was closed long before. So the, the Old Testament you have today is the Old Testament that Jesus quoted from. And so that's one thing to know. But the New Testament canon, the books that were written after Jesus and about Jesus, uh, well, the New Testament canon kind of developed a little bit more naturally or naturally within the church and then was later recognized by various church councils a long time later, hundreds of years later. So uh, the books of the Bible were, let me just state this, the books of the Bible were in, in the New Testament were largely agreed upon before any church council. And you may not be familiar with different church councils throughout church history, and I'll, I'll kind of mention one in a second. But we can see evidence of, of this, that the books of the Bible were agreed upon long before that in the New Testament. So Paul writes in 1 Timothy 5.18, and in 1 Timothy 5.18, he quotes from Scripture. But what he quotes is the Gospel of Luke. And so Paul, he calls the Gospel of Luke Scripture. And so we can see some corroboration there that, that Luke's writing, which Luke wrote 
Luke, Luke wrote Luke, surprise, the Gospel of Luke, and, um, and he also wrote the book of Acts. And so Paul views Luke's writings as the authoritative word of God. We also see this in the New Testament with Peter. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, Peter refers to Paul's letters as Scripture. And he says that there are people out there that are taking Paul's letters and twisting them up instead of treating them like they should as the rest of Scripture. And so um, Peter sees Paul's letters, which Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament, as the authoritative word of God. And so we start to see there's some corroboration within the New Testament and within the early church of the apostles seeing certain other writings as the authoritative word of God. But like I said, the New Testament canon developed more or less naturally through what the church universally taught and regarded as scripture. And so whenever there would be a letter sent to uh, a church or, or they, would, uh, they would receive some kind of writing, a book, and, and they didn't know whether it was the authoritative word of God, if it should be regarded as scripture, there were three primary questions that the early New Testament church asked. They asked, first question was, was it written by one of the apostles or a disciple to the apostles? So every single New Testament book in the Bible was written, written by one of the apostles. That's like Peter and James and John and uh, Paul and Jude. Those are all apostles of Jesus Christ. So um, everyone was either an apostle or they were a disciple to one of the apostles like Luke. So Luke was a, a disciple to or, or followed along with and did ministry with the apostle Paul. And uh, Mark, for instance, we have the Gospel of Mark. He was a disciple to and followed along with the Apostle Peter. And so all of our New Testament writings were either people who are directly, they were apostles of Jesus or they were followers of the apostles. And so that was one of the questions they asked. Was it written by an apostle or a disciple to the apostles? The second question they asked was, is this book already being accepted as authoritative by the church at large? So we received this writing, but did the church we receive it from, did they receive it as the authoritative word of God? And if they did, then that, that yields us to maybe consider that idea. And so they would consider it, but if the rest of the churches weren't considering this the authoritative word of God, then they wouldn't have either. And then the third question was, is this book consistent with the teachings and beliefs from the books already known to be scripture? So they would weigh what this book had to say against writings from the Old Testament and against the New Testament writings that they already knew were the authoritative word of God. And if there was any contradiction, well, they know that God does not contradict himself. And so they would throw it out. Okay? So like I said, um, this, that set of criteria led the church, the early New Testament church, to weed out some of the writings and develop a New Testament canon long before any later church councils. Um, so, yeah. and I may be throwing something at you that you've never thought about, never considered, but I just want to, this is something that's common online and it's just commonly wrong. And so the first, uh, the first church council that was ever assembled that discussed the New Testament canon as we see it today was the Council of Hippo in AD 393. Just 390, the year 393. Um, Jesus was crucified and resurrected 
we think somewhere around the year A.D. 33. And so uh, this is a long time after Jesus. And this is where people start to think that the New Testament canon was assembled for the first time in A.D. 393, but that's just not true. Because the, the Council of Hippo did not decide which b- books to include in the New Testament. All they sought to do was simply recognize and codify what many church leaders had already been using for over 200 years. So the New Testament was thoroughly and firmly established at that point, and they were just simply articulating uh, what books and writing them out and codifying them so that the rest of the regions of the known church and the known world would know which books are authoritative. Um, I'm going to release, like I said, my podcast on Tuesday. We'll give more information on this. Some of you guys are geeking out about this, and you're like, oh, I want to know more. And some of you are like, I hate history. This is my my least favorite, my least favorite book, or uh, least favorite class in school. And so um, that's okay. We'll move on. So uh, the third misconception is our Bible versions or our Bible translations are just a game of telephone and are not reliable. Have you ever heard this before? I thought this whenever I was in college for a little while. I thought that, have you ever played telephone before? You know what game I'm talking about? So you get a, like a string of kids together and you whisper something in the first kid's ear and then they take that information and whisper it in the next kid's ear and then like 15 kids later, the, the message has totally transformed into something that is not even remotely what it was originally. And so I remember thinking, and this was a common thought at one point, that the Bible that we have today is just a translation of a translation of a translation of a translation of a translation. We cannot trust the Bible because it's just, a tr- it's just so many translations have been translated from this to that and this to that. And so what you have today isn't really the Word of God originally. It's, it's something altogether different. It's been changed. Well, that idea, if you've ever heard that or wondered that, that's just false. It's completely false. Our modern translations are based on the Bible in its original languages. So believe it or not, we have the Bible in its original languages. We have the Old Testament in Hebrew and Greek, and we have the New Testament in its original language of Koine Greek. And so when we translate the Bible into modern English translations, we take the the version of the Bible in its original language, and we translate it directly into English. All good versions, good translations of the Bible do this. And the majority of our English translations do this today. Uh, the majority of your, the majority, um, like the vast majority of modern English translations of the Bible are really good. Um, there are some out there to avoid, but um, they, you probably wouldn't come across them anyways. And so um, if you stick to uh, many of the translations you see here, uh, ESV, NIV, CSB, KJV, NKJV, all these different translations are good translations of the Bible into English. And they go directly from the original into English. Okay, so those are three uh, common roadblocks that people can have. And, and like I said, these are just common ones. There's more than this, a lot more than this. But here's the reason why I bring these three, these three things up to you. I want you to be confident that when you sit down to read the Bible, that you're reading God's word. Satan can very easily uh, misdirect us and make us begin to doubt God's word. 
And so uh, if you have some of these roadblocks, maybe I didn't address here, and you, you have something that, that you would like to ask me, um, I would love to answer those questions. You can email me, and I would love to answer those questions because I want you to know that what you're reading is God's word. When we read the Bible, we are reading the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient word of God, and God uses it by the power of his Holy Spirit to, he uses it like a two-edged sword. Um, to cut us, to pierce to the division of soul, of spirit, of joints, and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, of your heart. And so when we practice deeper forms of Bible intake, when we wrestle with God's word, when we conform ourselves to God's word, when we challenge ourselves with God's word, then God is faithful to use his word to transform us from the inside out, transform our affections, transform our heart, transform our mind. So let's look at some practices, some disciplines. So I said that we were going to talk about study, memorization, and meditation. Um, so let's first look at the, the discipline of Bible study. I'm not talking about getting together with a big group and studying the Bible, even though that is a Bible study. Um, but what is Bible study? So I would say if reading the Bible... If reading the Bible can be compared to cruising the width of a clear, sparkling lake in a motorboat and going fast across the surface, if reading the Bible can be compared to that, then studying the Bible is like slowly crossing that same lake in a glass-bottom boat. One gives you an overview of the lake, which is good, while the other gives you time and perspective to see what you would have otherwise missed. So that's what studying the Bible seeks to do. And we could see examples of this in Scripture of people studying God's Word. And so if you look with me at Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, we'll have it on the screen. Ezra 7, 10, Ezra is someone who studied God's Word. And the Word of the Lord says this about Ezra. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, that's God's Word, and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So if you notice, Ezra devoted himself to, to studying God's word. So he devoted himself, then he studied, and then he observed that study, that, that study of God's word. He observed the law of the Lord, did it himself, and then taught its decrees and laws to others, to Israel. Before he taught God's word to other people, he began to practice it. And before he practiced it, he studied it. And before he studied it, he set his heart to know God's word deeply. So Ezra is a great example for us as we see Paul encourage us in 1 Timothy 4, 7 to, to discipline ourselves for godliness. Uh, we, we see here that Ezra did exactly that. Ezra's deeper study of God's word led uh, to application and transformation in his own life and gave him a deeper understanding of God's word to teach to others, which is good. So what is Bible study? I hope you do it. If you don't do it, it's simple. It's seeking to know and understand a passage of scripture at a deeper level. 
That's what it is. So you, um, you do studying um, simply by uh, reading and, and uh, taking in God's word at a deeper level. You can do so by studying words within the passage. So you can do word studies. You can study key concepts in a passage of scripture. You can do this by understanding like passages cross-references. Do you know the Bible cross-references itself over 63,000 times? And so when an idea is brought up in Scripture, it's probably not the first time it's brought up in Scripture or the only time. And so when you see an idea or a word or, or a thought from the Lord in Scripture, then you can weigh that idea against where he also brings it up in other places, giving you a more full picture of God's revelation about that thing. And so you can look to cross-references and see what the Bible states about similar concepts. Um, we can also do deeper level of study by learning the grammar, the history, the culture, the geography surrounding the text that we are taking in. And uh, that sometimes can interpret its inter- or affect its interpretation. And so by understanding that more deeply, we can often see things we wouldn't have seen otherwise. Now, the best tool for studying the Bible deeply is something you have at home and some of you have it with you right now is a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil. So um, diagramming out God's word, writing out passages, um, seeing how this word corresponds to this. When he, when he says, therefore, he's actually coming out of this other statement. And so I need to read this statement in context with this other statement. Just diagramming that out and seeing how it all fits together is really helpful. And writing that out and, and underlying and circling things in your Bible is so helpful for you to do deeper study of God's word. Also knowing the cross-references in your Bible. So most modern translations have a, a place usually right along the margin or on the inside or sometimes at the bottom of the page that will have all these numbers and all this stuff. Those are the cross-references. And so you'll see in a verse, maybe there's a word that has like a letter by it or something. And then you, you can follow that down to where it corresponds somewhere else. And it'll give you all these other references where, where God uses a similar word or a similar concept, a similar idea somewhere else in Scripture. And so, for instance, you can come across a word in Scripture like the word love. We use the word love a lot in our society. And so you can come across a word like love and you can read your thought of what love is into the, into the Bible when that may not be what God is meaning when he uses the word love. And so by stepping back and seeing where God uses that same word in other places in scripture gives us a more full picture of what he means when he talks about love. Does that make sense? And so that's what cross-references are. They're so helpful for Bible study and your translation more than likely has that in it. Um, Other things that are really great for deeper Bible study is a study Bible. So um, I use the ESV study Bible. There's NIV study Bible, CSB study Bible. There's uh, various translations and they have usually a study Bible. And a study Bible is really simple. It's it's usually a, a, a section underneath the the real word of God. So it's, it's not God's inspired word. It's someone's commentary. So it's usually a scholar or multiple scholars who they will give a little bit of commentary on different verses in the passage above. And they do this because sometimes there are words that we misinterpret. Sometimes there are passages or verses that can get confusing. And so they, they just say, hey, hold on this is what is being conveyed or this is the definition. And so they just kind of do a little bit of that legwork for you and lets you have a little bit deeper study 
of Scripture. Um, reading the Bible gives us breadth. I want you to know God's Word, to read God's Word, to understand the grand arc of the story of what God is conveying in the 66 books of his divinely inspired and inerrant, authoritative and sufficient word. I want you to know that grand story, but also reading God's Bible gives us breath, but studying the Bible gives us depth. I can tell you this, the Bible is the only book you will ever read that you could read every day and discover something new. It's amazing. I mean, my, uh, my mother-in-law was with us this whole past week for, for Lila's birthday. Um, she lives in New Mexico, and she stayed with us this past week. And she has read her Bible from cover to cover I don't know how many times. She stopped counting years ago because the count just got really high. She knows her Bible really well. And it was funny. We were talking um, on Sunday last week about a passage of Scripture. And I was like, well, no, actually, if you read it carefully, it says this. And she said, oh, my goodness. I have read this passage I don't know how many times, and now I see something I've never seen before. It's amazing. You can read God's word every day, and he will speak and show you something fresh and new. It's the only book. And the reason why is our verse that we saw earlier. The word of God is living and active. It's not stagnant. It's not old. It's not like reading some other work of literature. There is a force, a spirit, God himself behind his word. And he uses it to mold and shape you when you are willing to entrust yourself to his word. All right, another discipline that we have is memorizing scripture. Who hates memorizing anything? Yeah, because it, it brings back bad memories. Some of you, I mentioned not liking history class, and you're like, yeah, I hated history class. And that's probably because you had a teacher that just made you memorize a bunch of dates, right? And it was terrible. And so you didn't like it, and, and the idea of memorizing anything sounds terrible. And yet, if someone were to ask you what your phone number is, you know what that is. Or your social security number or your address or all kinds. We, we have so many things memorized whether we realize it or not. And, and what better thing to memorize than God's word, right? And so memorizing scripture is actually one of the most frequently commanded spiritual disciplines in the Bible, believe it or not. And yet it's one of the most neglected spiritual disciplines by the Western church. And so uh, let's look at Proverbs 7, 1 through 3. It's a beautiful passage, Proverbs 7, 1 through 3. It says, my son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Why should we study, I mean, sorry, why should we memorize God's word? The reason why is because when you have God's word memorized, it goes with you everywhere you go and in every situation. And the thing that that's, the reason why that's important is because when Scripture is stored in our mind, it's available for the Holy Spirit to take and bring to our attention when we need it the most. 
I, I, I don't know how many times I have been in a place in life where hindsight led me, you know, I, I look back at a situation and I think, man, if I just knew this thing then, then that would have changed my um, action or reaction at the time. And this is uh, preemptively storing and hiding God's word in our heart. In fact, that's what, that's what the psalmist says in Psalm 119.11. He says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so we see that our, our memorized scripture can combat temptation to sin. It's good. Ephesians 6 states that our only weapon against the enemy, against Satan, is actually the word of God. You have no other weapon other than that. And so the word of God is your weapon against Satan and his attacks. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, um, in Matthew chapter 4, he fought back or resisted Satan's temptation with the word of God. He quoted scripture. When we have scripture memorized, it's stored in our mind and our hearts to be available when we need it most. During the trial, during the temptation, during the anxiety, during the fear, um, during that evangelistic encounter, we know it. Because it's, it's stored within us. And the Holy Spirit can prompt that and bring that up to our attention so that we can use it. Now, there are a few different methods of memorization. And univer almost universally, the best method of memorizing anything is with a song. It is. So, you are terrible, many of you, and, uh, and I am, terrible at memorizing uh, just random, you know, links of numbers or something like that. If I, if I told you my number, I can promise you, you wouldn't remember it. Most of us are terrible at that kind of thing, right? And, and so if I told you my phone number, you, you would walk away and not remember it. That's why we put it in our phone right away or write it down or something, right? Um, but when you put it to a jingle, then you remember it. In fact, I can think of a song in the 80s. Eight, six, seven, five. Yes, exactly. So, how did you remember that? <laughs> Through song, right? So, it's amazing. You remember the songs of the words we sing on Sunday. You remember so much when it's in musical form. And so, put God's word in musical form. We do this at our house. Uh, there, there are, so, you don't have to make it up yourself if you're not good at that. Uh, there, are, there are people who are talented musicians who do this for you. And you can search out. Uh, we use the Village Kids, um, the Village Church in, in the DFW area. They do this with their kids' ministry. And we play these songs uh, at our house all the time. For instance, uh, the one that popped in my head the other day when preparing this was uh, 1 John 1.9. Does anyone know it or have it memorized? I didn't before I knew this song. And it says this, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9. So I would, not have that, I would not have that verse memorized 
unless we taught it to our daughters using music. And so, um, so we, can learn, uh, we can learn crucial and important verses that we can hide God's word in our heart through music. Ultimately, that's the goal of the worship songs we sing is that they're grounded in scripture. And so lots of times it's, it's easier for us, even though uh, the songs we may sing may not be a direct quote from scripture, it's easier for us often to memorize the verse that it is referring to because we have some of that already stored in us. Other ways to help us with memorizing scripture is the, uh, the old method of repetition, right? The more you say it, the more you will remember it. Now, that sounds terrible if you have a card in front of you and you just keep saying it over and over and over. But if instead you do something like every time that you wash your hands, you, you quote that scripture, or every time you do some kind of activity you do multiple times throughout the day, like washing your hands, um, like before you eat a meal, every time you get into your car and then out of your car, you, you quote a, a passage of scripture. By doing that, you're prompting rhythmically, you're prompting something within, within you um, to quote God's word. Another thing that would help us is to have a memorization partner. Uh, when you see, uh, when you have a memorization partner, they're working at memorizing the same passages of scripture. Every time you see them, whether that's Sunday or during the week or whatever, you can quiz each other. You can say, all right, can you quote to me First John 1, 9? They'd be like, oh man, I forgot it. And you're like, sing the song. And they're like, okay. Um, no? Okay. Anyways. Um, the last thing is have a scripture memory plan. So if you think, I'm going to memorize scripture, I'll just figure out which passages to memorize. It's usually not going to work. And so having a plan, uh, already thought through what verses you're planning to memorize throughout the year is really helpful. Um, Good news, like I said last week, ding, ding, I'm going to send you guys in email form this week, um, tomorrow, I'm going to send you guys a scripture memory plan. It's 26 verses that you guys can memorize over the next year, one verse every two weeks. And if you memorize these verses, it's 26 really important, crucial verses for all phases and, and walks of life, whatever God may be doing in you at the time. Okay, so... Um, Memorize scripture, hiding God's word in our heart is so crucial. But then also we see meditating on scripture. So Bible meditation is um, something you may or may not do. You may or may not be aware that you do it. So this is not new age or yogic meditation that seeks to discover the so-called inner self. Like, that's not what this is. So this is a deep meditation and contemplation on the truth of God's word. We see this recommended to us and told, uh, commanded to us in Scripture uh, many times. Um, and the psalmist, uh, psalmists, uh, they bring up meditation on God's word a lot. And in fact, the first psalm, Psalm 1, uh, psalm one verses 1 through 3, brings up the meditation on God's word. Um, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Get this. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruits in its season, and its, leaves, and its leaf does not wither. In all he, that he does, he prospers. 
And I could preach a whole sermon on that passage because that's such a beautiful and rich passage. That the person who delights in God's word and meditates on God's word is like a tree planted by a stream. It produces fruit and it doesn't go through the drought because it's right by the stream. It's being fed every day and at all times, giving, giving its nutrients. It's beautiful. Psalm 119.15 likewise says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Psalm 119.148 says, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night. So I wake up early in the morning that I may meditate on your promise. Okay, so how do we meditate on God's word? Um, we can do it a few different ways. Uh, simply put, we can take a, a concept or a verse, um, an idea in scripture from our Bible reading time and, and fix our mind, focus our mind on that thing. Quiet the things around us and focus our mind on the truth that we've seen in our Bible reading time. I often, whenever I'm reading scripture, I'll underline certain things that stand out to me and um, it's kind of funny how s sometimes it's really odd things that stand out to me, but God's working and, and it'll, it, something will stand out to me and I'll, I'll underline it and, uh, and then later I'll go back after reading and I'll, and I'll think about that verse and I'll, I'll think about the truth that it reveals about God or maybe the truth that it reveals about me and, and I'll just meditate and think on that thing so that it is more deeply um, taken in and hidden within my heart. But likewise, uh, meditating on, on Scripture is uh, really helpful for when we're entering into uh, different circumstances and, or issues in life. We can take a, a verse that speaks to the situation or issue that we're going through, and we meditate on the truth of God's Word that speaks to that. So for instance, if you're wrestling with fear and anxiety, then rather than thinking about the thing that you're fearful of, every time that that's prompted within you, you could have a verse that you've memorized that you meditate on the truth of God's word that combats that fear and leads you to trust in God, right? So that's what meditating on God's word does. We quiet everything around us. We focus on the truth from scripture. We take time to think about what this passage says and we praise God about it we remember how that truth has been shown in our life. We just, we just take time to think it through, not, not scooting past it, but dwell on that truth. I hope that helps. The most important spiritual discipline in your life is Bible intake. I said it last week, saying it again today, is the most important spiritual discipline you can practice in your life. My prayer is that you grow to know God's word with breadth, that you read his word, that you know the overarching uh, story that God is conveying in his word, but that you also learn his word with depth. That you become conformed to his word, transformed by his word, and that God uses his word to shape you daily as you read his word, study his word, memorize his word, and meditate on his word. Next week in this series, we're going to talk about prayer. Um, so we're moving past Bible intake, and we're going to go to the discipline and rhythm of prayer. My goal next week is to do something simple, is I just want to talk about what is prayer. There's misconceptions out there about what prayer even is. 
why do we pray? There's misconceptions out there about why we pray. And then how do we do it? So next week, come back. We're going to unpack prayer and see what God's word has to say about prayer. Cool? All right, we're going to sing one more song together. I want to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we're going to sing and praise God together one last time. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth um, that your word is living and active, not stagnant, not dead, living and active. And that all we need to do is seek you in your word. That when we come to your word, when we open your word, when we seek to know your word more deeply, when we seek to hide your word in our heart, when we seek to meditate on your word, Lord, you work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit to do miraculous things in us, to transform us from the inside out, to root issues out of our lives, to root sin out of our lives, to, to, to conform our minds to where you are wanting us to be focused, to orient our life on the path that you have for us. And so, Lord, I just ask this week, as we, uh, we're gonna leave here in a little bit, we're gonna go about our way and go back to work and get back in our rhythms. Lord, I just ask that um, you bring to our mind, you prompt in us a, a desire and a love for your word, that we want to study your word, but Lord, prompt in us a desire to memorize your word and to meditate on your word. For you are good, Lord. May we know you through your word and may you shape us through your word. Be with us as we continue to worship you as we sing this last song. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.